Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. As we uh, kick off this new year, we're going to begin a new sermon series starting today, and it is entitled Running with horses, right? So you might say, hmm, scratch your head a little bit. We'll get to where uh, we get that idea and how that's going to be pertinent for us going forward. But our sermon series is going to be Running with Horses, and we're going to be looking at how to live your best life when life is not at its best. So how to live your best life when life is not at its best. And what I have found is that if I'm waiting for life to get good before I start leaving, uh, leading into uh, the goodness of life or living my best life, I'm going to be waiting a long, long time. And so we're going to be talking about how to live our best life when life is not at its best. And to begin with, we've got to have uh, maybe a new perspective on what it means to deal with hardship, a new perspective with what it means to deal uh, with difficulties. Uh, In 1982, there was a movie that came out, and it was called The Man from Snowy River. Some of you may have seen this movie. Some of you may be familiar with it. This was the first movie I ever saw in the movie theater. I remember as a little boy going with my mom and dad. We drove our dark green Ford El Torino to the movie theater in Prineville, Oregon, and we went and watched The Man from Snowy River. It was one of my favorites growing up, particularly because it was tied to that memory of going to the movies for the first time with my mom and dad and my little brother. But the story follows uh, a man named Jim uh, Jim Craig, and he's a young man at the time in in the movie, and he and his dad live in the mountains. Uh, And as such, uh, they're uh, a little bit impoverished. It's a very hard and harsh type of a life. Uh, It's a life of tremendous difficulty and challenge. And as the movie progresses, he's forced to move out of the mountains and down into the lowlands or to the flatlands, and he goes to work for uh, somebody who's affluent and wealthy, uh, a man who has a state and has uh, land and has all kinds uh, of livestock. And as, uh, uh, as a hand there, uh, he is um, tasked with being a part of a group that goes to corral a group of wild horses. And so most of the movie uh, focuses on this one particular stallion, this herd of wild horses, and their attempt to somehow uh, uh, get them herded down into this place. And, and Jim is, uh, has grown up in the mountains, a life of hardship, a life of difficulty, uh, a life of poverty. Uh, he's not um, really uh, um, embraced down below. He doesn't fit, he doesn't belong, and he in many ways is looked down on and snubbed. And, but he's a part of this group that goes out to round up this herd of wild horses. And they end up kind of outsmarting the stallion. They get them all kind of boxed together, and they get them kind of corralled on this plateau. And there's kind of this edge of the plateau that drops off. And it's not like a straight drop, but it's a pretty sheer cliff that they drive this herd towards, and they kind of get them all situated. And it's like, we did it. Yay, high five, everybody's excited, right? They got it taken care of. And then all of the sal- uh, the sudden, that stallion turns, and it just goes. And it goes right off the edge of the cliff, and the whole herd follows with him. And it's such a steep uh, kind of precipice that they go down that the horses have to go at a full gallop, right? It's not just kind of... 
uh, picking their way down or it's not kind of sitting and sliding on their heels. It's just like a full straight sprint down the hill or you're going to basically roll. And everybody at that point kind of is going and they all stop and pull up. And then you've got this like, iconic moment in the film where Jim Craig gets a running start, pulls off his bullwhip, snaps it in the air, and just goes over the side. And as you, as you watch this, his, his heels are up by the horse's head. He's all the way back, full sprint down. Everybody else stops. Everybody else pulls out, but he goes over. And the rest of the, the movie, it's beautiful cinematography if, if you're kind of into those types of things. But he ends up bringing in the whole herd all on his own. And what you find is that the hardships and the difficulties and the challenges of growing up in the mountains, of learning all of his equestrian art in the mountains, had prepared him for this moment that everybody else who had had a life of ease and had a life of plenty, they were not prepared for, and they were not willing to take the risk, but he was the one who was able to go over And the reason why I share that with you is because what you find kind of illustrated in the story is the role that hardship and difficulty has in preparing us for moments of greatness, for for moments where, where all of life kind of hinges on the decision that is about to be made. And what I have found in my life and just kind of in living life with people is most of the time our first response when things get difficult is to find a way to make them less difficult, right? Not to see it as an opportunity to grow or to stretch or to mature or to become a more complete person, but we see it as, uh, I don't really like that. And my first thought is, how do I get out of this? So much so that most often the first prayer I utter to the Lord when I'm going through difficulty is to ask him to change it. Can you take this away? But what I've found in my life and what I see illustrated in Scripture very often is that the Lord is more apt to lead us through those difficulties and to shape us in the process. And so if we're going to learn to run with the horses... If we're going to learn to live our best life, even when life isn't at its best, something is going to have to be uh, shaped in us in the way that we view challenge and difficulty, conflict and discomfort that will set us up towards being shaped by that process as the Lord leads us through that. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get those out, smartphone or tablet, go and open up your Bible app. Lord, we ask that you give us soft hearts to receive from your word today. Lord, give us a willingness Um, to see you as good even when circumstances aren't. Lord, to know of your goodness and your righteousness and your love for us even when we're not experiencing that in the world around us. Lord, give us a great faith to follow you as the good shepherd through the valley of the shadow of death. Lord, and not to look for ways to skirt it or to shy away from those opportunities. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've got your Bibles out, which you should, already gave you the chance, right? Go ahead and open up to the book of Jeremiah. It's going to be where kind of our anchor verse for this whole series is going to come out of. Our concept of running with horses is going to tie to that, uh, and we're going to be moving forward from that. But I want to give you some background, some context on the book of Jeremiah. It's an Old Testament book. Maybe you haven't spent a lot of time uh, in it, but Jeremiah is one of the Old Testament prophets. He was somebody who the Lord would speak to, and then he would speak to the people of God, particularly the nation of Judah, 
in their history, and Jeremiah's ministry stretched over 40 years. It's really important to recognize that because most of the time when we read the Bible, we read it as if it all took place in however long it took us to actually read that chapter, right? So uh, we have a tendency to not view kind of the timeline, but Jeremiah, his ministry was over 40 years. And as he was a spokesman for God to his people through those decades, he watched the very slow moral and spiritual decay of the nation. He very, very rarely in, uh, in world history do you see a nation or a people that just like has this cataclysmic event and like all of a sudden they go from good to bad or from right to wrong or something. It's, it's very often a slow descent towards moral and spiritual decay. And Jeremiah is seeing that. He's seeing that in the nation of Judah. And ultimately, that decline is going to lead to their demise. And they're going to be politically overthrown by the nation of Babylon. If you're somebody who's a world history buff, then when the Babylonian Empire became the world power, Judah was one of the nations that it just swallowed up. And so Jeremiah is alive during this time. He's watching this take place, and he's constantly trying to call correction and redirection to God's people. He's constantly trying to call them to repentance, and because of that, he is wildly unpopular, right? Do you ever have that friend who's kind of like the Jiminy Cricket conscience for you, and they're trying to, kinda, they're trying to help you, but you're not sure you want that kind of help? Or maybe you're that person for somebody else. Jeremiah was constantly saying, hey, you know what? The, that's not the way that the Lord would want us to do this, and he was constantly being silence as a result of it. He was wildly unpopular as he called the nation to repentance, as he tried to bring correction and redirection for them, as he tried to give them an awareness of the slow moral spiritual decline that was taking place, and nobody wanted to hear that. And ultimately, ultimately he ends up in prison, not by the Babylonians, not by any outside pressure, but his own people, his own family turns against him, his community turns against him, the political climate all changes, and he ends up in jail. And when you follow Jeremiah's life, it's not until the Babylonians destroy Jerusalem that the Babylonian officials let him out of prison. How ironic is that? And so that's the backdrop of what's taking place. He writes the book of Lamentations. It's another Old Testament book that he writes as a response to Jerusalem being overthrown by the Babylonians. It's a, a, a lament. It's a deep grieving and Jeremiah's nickname uh, in uh, theological circles is he's the weeping prophet. He's like the prophet crybaby because his life is so difficult, and he's constantly in this place of grief, pity, and despair. So that gives you a backdrop of what's taking place. But early on, early on in his ministry is where we're going to start. Early on, the Lord speaks to him. The Lord says, I've got a plan and a purpose for you, and it's always been my plan and my purpose for you. He says, you're going to speak for me, and, and, and you're going to, to be my representative. All the stuff that if the Lord came and said, hey, I have chosen you for great things, and he begins to unveil those to you, all of a sudden you have a plan and a purpose for your life. You, you have meaning, and you begin to move into that with great excitement and, and great expectation. And so you could see Jeremiah responding in that way. But then all of a sudden, the struggles start happening. People aren't listening. Nobody wants to hear. Nobody wants to respond. His family turns against him. The community turns against him. And so as Jeremiah was struggling with continuous hardships, and he watched others, uh, he, he watched others kind of flourish when he was being treated unfairly, 
And we, when he, uh, he began to deal with those things, he brings his grievance to the Lord. He brings his grievance to the Lord. And it's what you and I often do when life gets difficult for us. And it, it really should be. It's the right response to, to take those burdens, to take those things that are heavy, or the, to take, take those things that are difficult, and to bring those to the Lord. In fact, Jesus invites us to do that, doesn't he? All of you who are burdened and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. It's the invitation that God always gives. So it's the right, it's, it's the right initial response. But in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1, here's how he begins to bring those concerns to the Lord. This is how he begins his prayer conversation with God. He says this. He says, you are always righteous. It's a good way to start, by the way, right? God, you are good. You are right. You are just, right? God, you are holy. You are other than. Those things are all true. You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet, I would speak to you about your justice. Let me translate this for you. Hey, God, I know that you're good. I know that you're right. I know that you have your best in mind for me. I know that you've spoken to me. You've called me. You've got a plan and purpose for my life. You're leading me into all of this. I know that you are right, but I need to talk to you about what's going on in my life. I need to talk to you about my circumstances. Think about this morning as we were singing, you are good. You are good. You've never let me down, right? We know that is true. We can declare that in faith, but haven't we felt that way before? And haven't we looked at our circumstances and thought, hey, well, this doesn't jive. Like God is good, but this isn't. This circumstance in my life, this challenge that I'm facing, this injustice that I'm enduring, and that's where Jeremiah finds himself. You are righteous, Lord, whenever I bring a concern to you, but can we talk about this? And as he kind of lays out his grievance or the concern of his heart, here's what he's asking God to do. You need to change this. Hey, this, this circumstance, this, this isn't right. You're calling me to correct the people. Nobody wants to listen to me. In fact, I'm being treated unfairly as a result of this. Lord, I know that you're good and you have good things in store for your people. I know of your promises and you're always faithful to those, but this does not look the way that it's supposed to look. This needs needs to change. So he begins to question the Lord and he asks the question of why, if you're good, does life look this way? Can, Can you relate to that? And you think of times, maybe, maybe you're enduring a season right now where that would be your question. Hey, I know God's good, but this uh, doesn't look like it right now. And so Jeremiah begins there. He, he begins to pray for escape and reprieve. God, I, just, I, I want you to change this. This, this. this just needs to change. And what's really interesting is that God basically says, no. And it's a hard thing for us to kind of consider, but very often when men and women of faith were dealing with difficulties and challenges of tribe, as many times as you see miraculous provision and miraculous change in situation, you often also see God respond with, no, I'm not going to change that. I'm going to do something else. And you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to be led by me. You're going to have to move with me if you're going to see what that is. And so in verse 5 
of this chapter, right? As Jeremiah starts saying, hey, uh, life isn't at its best right now. Could you change this circumstance? Here's how the Lord responds. He actually responds first with a question. He doesn't come out right and say, no, that would actually be super demoralizing, right? Uh, But he answers Jeremiah with a question, and this is what he says in verse 5. Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? Kind of an interesting question, right? Uses a metaphor there. Then he continues, he says, if you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets? And here's what the Lord is saying here. If you can't deal with small difficulties, what are you going to do when things get really bad? Because at the front side of Jeremiah's ministry, he was just unpopular. The community was kind of turning against him, and he was kind of of getting pushed away. He was continuing to see the moral and spiritual decline in people. The the community was continually uh, kind of uh, degrading. It was falling apart. But it was going to get much worse. He was going to be imprisoned. He was going to get led away into exile. The city of Jerusalem was going to get ultimately destroyed. And God says, hey, I'm not changing this situation, but if you don't learn how to endure these small things, you won't be able to endure bigger things. He answers him really with what we would say is is the kingdom principle of little much. You've heard me talk about that if you've been part of our church family throughout the years. There's a principle in God's kingdom that I, I just call it the little much principle. Jesus uses it parabolically in a number of of his stories where where he would say, if you are faithful in little, then you will be given or entrusted with more. Paul talks about this in the idea of being generous or in the way that you live, that in a spiritual sense, that if you sow little, then you will reap little. In a generosity sense, that if if you are stingy, then you won't receive. But the the more you are able to give and live open-handedly, the more that is kind of returned to you in a sense. There's this little much principle in Scripture, and you see it here where what God is saying, if you can't deal with little difficulties, you will not stand the big trials. If you're worn out by the little things, if you don't learn how to endure and to persevere those things, then the big things you won't even face. You won't actually even have opportunity to. If you cannot, if you will not, if you do not endure this, Jeremiah, you will not ever move on to greater things. See, the illustration in that movie, right, Um, the, the man from Snowy River, it was the life of hardship. It was the difficulty. It was the mountain living. It was having, having to learn all of those difficult and hard lessons that culminated in him being the only one who could do what needed to be done. He was the only one who could, would, and was willing to risk going over and was capable enough to do what needed to be done. And as men and women of God, there are plans and purposes that God has for your life that will ultimately bring you to places where you are the one. You are the one to speak. You are the one to act. You are the one to do. But if the small things aren't learned to be endured, if you don't build perseverance, you won't have what it takes in that moment. 
You won't be able to be the voice. You won't be able to be the hands and feet. You won't be able to be the one who meets the need. You will not be prepared to act because you haven't been prepared by the process of dealing with difficulty and hardship. In James chapter 1, uh, James is, is talking about this process in the way that you grow, in the way that you are developed. I would uh, not feel like I was going out on a limb here if I said, if you're present, you, you have something in you that says that you want to be the man of God or the woman of God that you were created to be. There's something in you that would have a desire for that. And when James begins his letter to the church, he says something that sounds super crazy. He says this, starting in verse two, he says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, right? Yeehaw, Yahoo, yippee, skippy, bring it on, right? That, that does not sound like how I want to respond to difficulties. I don't want to invite problems. In fact, let me tell you, you're not going to have to. Jesus said, in this life, you will have many troubles. Like, you're not going to have to look for them. You're not going to have to find difficulty. Adversity will be a part of your life story. But Jesus said, take heart. I have overcome the world. I'm with you, present. I'll walk you through this. This is, this is a part of what takes place. But James says, hey, that, that we should have a, a perspective of hardship that we're willing to almost embrace them, almost to welcome them in a sense. And here's why. Because, verse 3, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance. That word means endurance. I like to call it stick to right? It means that you're, you're not going to give up. You're not going to shy away. You're not going to tap out. That you're going to press through, that you're going to hold on. There's a tenacity to it. You're going to bulldog this moment until you see it through. And look what perseverance does. Let perseverance finish its work. There's something about the process of dealing with difficulty. There's something about the process of enduring hardship that produces something in us. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Another way to say that, that you would be whole in who you are and who you were prepared or destined to be. that you will be made complete. As a man of God, as a woman of God, if you cannot endure difficulty, you lack maturity. If you cannot or you will not allow the Lord to lead you through those things, you are incomplete. It's a, hard, it's a hard thing for us to hear or to think about, but there is a necessity of following the Good Shepherd through the valley of the shadow of death where we actually understand who He is and who we are in relation to Him. I love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And many of you could begin to just recite that from whatever version of Scripture you learned as a little kid. But everything changes from it being like a green pasture and still water and life is easy and restful to the yay, right? I always found it funny in that uh, version. Yay, though I walk through the valley. It's not that yay, but that's how it sounded to me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff. They comfort me. 
what the psalmist is saying is not that you go through the valley of the shadow of death and you're all alone. The shepherd somehow skips it and goes to the other side and is waiting for you. This is your trial, your dark night of the soul. Hope you make it. The whole metaphoric picture is that the good shepherd says, hey, we're going through this, but trust me, it's going to be awesome on the other side. And my rod and my staff will go before you that I will provide and I will protect. Stay on my heels. I've got better places for you, but we've got to go through this to get there. See, that's what, that's what hardship often looks like in the life of the believer. And we almost see it as a punishment. We see it as, you know, uh, an injustice. We respond like Jeremiah, hey, I know you're good. This doesn't look good. Could you just make this good? No, Jeremiah, because if you can't do these little things, you'll never do the great things I have designed for your life. This is part of the process. Many people pray for escape rather than endurance. Many people pray for a reprieve rather than perseverance. And many people make the mistake of thinking that somehow God is not in their difficulty rather than that he would be leading them through that. And one of the things that you find if you read through the rest of chapter 12 is as God begins to remind Jeremiah and respond to his, hey, can we talk about this and could you just change this? The language and the, the, the visual takes Jeremiah back to the first chapter. It takes him back to when God called him, spoke into his life and said, hey, I have something that I have designed for you to do. And in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 8, as he's first being called to follow the Lord, the Lord gives him this promise. He says, do not be afraid, for I am with you and will rescue you. And again, he uses the same phrasing in verse 19. When he makes it really clear, Jeremiah, they're going to press against you. You're going to have difficulty. People are going to push. They're going to resist. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you. And as the Lord reminds him of that promise, the rescue isn't, I'm going to change your circumstance. The rescue comes from recognizing that the, the Lord is with you in it. The rescue isn't Jesus saying, hey, there's troubles in this world. Don't worry, I'm going to take you out of the world. The rescue is, hey, you're going to face trouble, but I am with you and I have overcome all of this. It's the promise. It's the promise that brings the strength and the desire and the willingness to endure. And so I want to answer this question. How can you and I respond to hardship? Maybe you've got present hardship, conflict, difficulty right now. Maybe you've walked through that and you can sing and celebrate the way that the Lord has brought you through that. But whether you're in a tough place right now, kind of a lost, questioning, ambiguous place, or whether you're in a safe and restful place, what is true is out in front of us at some point, adversity will find us. You're not going to have to look for it. You're not going to have to ask the Lord, oh, I'm ready to level up. Give me more trials. Don't, you don't need to do that. But when you face difficulties, 
whether they're right now and present or they're a part of your next year or a later season in life? How can we respond to hardships in a way where we are learning to live our best when life isn't at its best? Here's four things if you're a note taker to write down. And we see these illustrated in Jeremiah. The first one is bring your honest lament or concern to the Lord. This is so important. So important. Jeremiah said, hey God, can we talk about this? I know you're good, but this isn't. What's up with that? And you don't see God scold him. He doesn't get disciplined for that. He doesn't get dismissed or mocked as a result of that. God enters into an honest conversation or dialogue with him. Listen to me, man of God, woman of God, if you're dealing with hardship, you need to bring those things to the Lord and you need to enter into a conversation of prayer where you present those to him and be honest. Too many believers, too many Christians go through life pretending like things aren't the way that they are. I've watched people who, who if you know their story, their, their life is a straight dumpster fire. Everybody knows about it, and they're like, ah, it's fine, it's fine. It's, it's, it's not fine. And it's okay to say, hey, this, this isn't fine. It's okay to say this is hard or this is difficult. This is a deep grief. This is a place where I'm angry. It's okay to express those things. In fact, if, if, if you want a great example, go back and, and read the Gospels and look at the way that Jesus expresses emotion, compassion, and grief, anger. There's ways to do all of those things in a very healthy way, in a God-honoring way, and Jesus demonstrates all of those things. But so many of us, we won't even be honest with the Lord about the concerns of our heart, and it has to start there. If you're going to live your best when life isn't at its best, you need to be able to go to the Lord and say, hey, life isn't at its best right now. And I need to talk to you about that. The second thing that happens when Jeremiah does that is he then stops and he listens for the voice of God. He allows the Lord to speak. And this is where we need to make sure that we can pump the brakes because some of us, once we start to talk about how difficult our life is, we don't stop, do we? Right? We just keep complaining. We keep complaining. We keep rehashing it. We keep reliving it. In fact, many of us have friends or have been that person who we just couldn't or wouldn't stop. And at some point, uh, our friends around us are just like, oh, enough already. It's nice to know that the Lord doesn't do that. He doesn't weary or grow tired of you. But if you'll be quiet long enough to allow him to speak, he will address the concern of your heart. And he may say, I'm going to change that, and here's how I'm going to do it. Or he may say, I'm not going to change that, but I'm going to change you, and this is why. But you've got to stop long enough to listen to his voice. The third thing that you find is that when Jeremiah allowed the Lord to speak to him, he was reminded of his promise. I am with you, and I will rescue you. I am with you, and I will rescue you. Even though he's hearing the Lord say, I'm not going to change your circumstance I'm not gonna, it's not going to get easier. In fact, you're going to have to grow up a little bit because it's going to get more difficult. You're going to have to grow and develop. You're going to have to mature. But I am with you, and I will rescue you. And then once that has happened, once we've kind of moved into that, here, here's where the decision becomes yours and mine. We have to choose to endure. We have to choose to keep going. We have to choose to take that step. We have to resolve to be led through the difficulty. 
There's a phrase that's used in the Old Testament one time that says that you have to set your face like a flint. It means like a chiseled, sharpened rock, that it would be unyielding, that there's a resolve in us that says, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to press through. Wherever the good shepherd goes, I'm going to stay on his heels. And if it goes to the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death because I'm going with him. Wherever Jesus leads, wherever he calls me, I know that he's going before me and that he's going to make that way. And it may look dark, it may look bleak, it may look difficult, it may look hopeless, but I know it is not because my hope is not in my situation, my hope is in Jesus. My hope is in the one who would lead me through this. And so whether you need to respond to hardship, difficulty, uh, and conflict today, or whether that's a part of your story in 2022, or maybe it's way out in the future somewhere, bring those concerns to the Lord. Allow Him to speak. Be reminded of His promise. And then make that decision that you're going to endure, that you're going to live your best, even though life isn't at its Church family, if you would stand. Worship team, if you would come forward. As we begin this year, you are not going to need to seek difficulty out. Some of you had it hounding you up maybe on your way in. It certainly will be a part of your story at some point. So rather, when it does come, rather than look for ways to avoid it or look for ways to get out of it or to hide from it, when they present themselves, look to the Lord. Look to the Lord to lead you through them and to grow and to mature, to be more complete as a man of God, as a woman of God, as you have faced those things, to be more prepared for the moments that he has out in front of you, the plans and the purposes and the destiny for your life. Be willing to lean into difficulties. I don't know if you've got to go as far as James to say yee-haw, yippee-skip, I don't know if you've got to go that far, but be willing to lean in and trust the good shepherd as he leads you. Lord, we come before you and we offer you this year. Lord, this new year, so often we look forward with such hope and expectation. And oftentimes it centers on what we're gonna do, that we're gonna resolve to somehow do something. But rather than that, trusting in our own strength or our own effort, Lord, we would decide today that we're just gonna follow you that come what may, that we would follow you. Lord, like Jeremiah, we would declare that you are righteous. But sometimes we have questions about the details of our life. So give us the courage to come to you and to be honest with those. Give us a tuned ear that we would listen for your voice. Lord, remind us of your many promises. And then by the power of your Holy Spirit, give us the courage to endure, to decide no matter what, that we would follow you. That as the old hymn would say, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. 
No turning back. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Action steps for you this week. If you've got a smartphone or your tablet, you can snap a picture of these or you can find these online on Facebook later on this week. When facing difficulties, be honest with the Lord, be reminded of his promise, and then be resolute to endure.